I was creating situations that were extremely high stress, that were affirming the core subconscious stories I had about myself, that I wasn't worthy of love, that I was different from other people, that to be alive was to constantly be fighting to stay alive. That level of extreme fight or flight was normal for me. And it only began to change, not because I systematically educated every potentially homophobic human being in all of New York City and reformed them and everybody on Facebook too. It started to change when I looked within myself and I said, I'm ready to tell a different story. You're listening to the Almost 30 Podcast, hosted by Krista Williams and Lindsay Simsek. Almost 30 started as a conversation about the transition from our 20s to our 30s. But then we realized life is full of transitions. So we expanded our mission. We are an intuition-led, wellness-focused lifestyle podcast that promises to deliver authentic conversations, diverse points of view, and insights rooted in optimism, growth, and intention. The Almost 30 Nation community is a group of purposeful dreamers who are smart, passionate, and always seeking the full potential in every aspect of their lives. At Almost 30, we're making magic together. We dream it, and then we do it. Thanks so much for tuning into the Almost 30 Podcast. Here we go. Welcome to Almost 30. Hello and welcome. So thankful you're here. I know there's a lot to choose from with your audio and we are so grateful you chose Almost 30. Yeah, truly. I'm Lindsay Simsick. And I'm Krista Williams. And yeah, <laughs> and that's us. <laughs> and that's us. And we're we're thankful you're uh, here. However you're feeling today, whether it's tired, whether it's disheartened, whether it's angry, whether it's hopeful, um, we're hopeful that you know this conversation is going to be um, helpful in your managing and your you know way in which you engage with the world. Yeah, yeah. I think the. The feeling part has been something that I've just been thinking about a lot, which is probably counterintuitive (laughs) to actually feeling the feelings, but where my feelings are, I feel shameful around feeling my feelings during this time because I was sitting in them and feeling as though I didn't really have the right to take up space right now. And that also didn't feel good. You know, like it didn't feel completely true. So I had to kind of just like dig a little deeper, like what is that? And it was just this uncomfortable feeling of what I am feeling is actually calling me to do more, to look inside and see like some things I can learn and and kind of clean up and really face. I hadn't felt that way you know, in a long time. So, you know, I'm not speaking for anyone out there, but if you relate, um, I hope that this episode will, you know, just bring you, bring light to what you're feeling and hopefully empower you to, to do something about it. Yeah. Period. Yeah. Aaron Rose, as you guys know, if you um, are OGs, Aaron Rose is our coach. We've been working with for about a year now. Um, We hired Aaron 
why, oh, so it feels like so long ago. It feels like we were different people, but <laughs> really with the aim and lens to um, help us uncover any unconscious biases, help us to be better for y'all, help us to just be more thoughtful, more intentional, more inclusive, all of the things. And since working with Aaron, you know, our lives have completely changed. You know, we've evolved to, or we've moved on to different things within within what we do and within what we work on that are deeply personal to who we are. But within this conversation, we asked Aaron to come on specifically to talk about this. And because right now, um, the collective conversation, there can be so much information and news and things that we see on a daily basis that can be very triggering. People hear the word triggers a lot. We have trigger warnings before posts. We have, you know, just the collective narrative includes the word trigger a lot. So within this, I think it's really helpful for us to unpack what exactly a trigger is and how we can break it down to work against that because it's okay to be triggered, of course, but there's always something underneath that trigger that needs to be examined until you know we can find the peace that we so much deserve. Mm-hmm. I think what's been so interesting in examining those triggers has been how deep and how far back they might go. And then it becomes, how do we fix it if it's so deep and so far back, Mm -hmm. right? Like if you think about your families or where you grew up or just like the system in which you've lived and known to be quote unquote home. And so it becomes really overwhelming. But I love Aaron because there is this, there is kind of like this helicopter view of just like, okay, like, yes, that is true. That is true that you might've grown up in a place where you never uh, went to school with a black person or, you know, all of that might be true, but there is just this knowing in your soul and uh, what you were born with that you can activate, which is just this like deep innate sense of love, Mm -hmm. you know, for yourself and other human beings. So all that to say, it's not spiritual bypassing in any way, but this is spiritual work. Mm -hmm. You know, this is deep, deep spiritual work. So, you know, it just comes at a very important time in our history to be examining that, especially as white women, Mm -hmm. you know, our community Mm -hmm. is made up of all different types of women, uh, different backgrounds, different skin colors, but majority white women. And Mm -hmm. so like we are committed to having these conversations because this can't keep happening. Mm -hmm. You know, we can't see this keep repeating itself in our lifetime. Like the, the hope is that there will be change. Yeah. And when I think about triggers, you know, I think before I started to do the work within, you know, therapy, reading, workshops, whatever, it was, I didn't really realize I was being triggered. And it was almost the addiction to the triggering that, that so often, so often happens. And so I'm, and that I'm seeing so intensely, especially right now within the media cycle. So it's, you know, going on to Twitter, being triggered by a post, being triggered by something you're reading. And then you're addicted to that feeling of anger, that feeling of, of, you know, aloneness, that feeling Mm. of that trigger. And I know for me, you know, I used to be triggered when I would get feedback that was related to the work that we were doing and it not being 
in the certain, like even, even inclusive enough, like years ago, like two years ago or something like that. And it would trigger me so much because in my mind, I was like, I'm doing everything. I'm doing everything I can. Like I felt like this wounded feminine of I'm working full-time job and I'm Mm. giving this content Mm -hmm. for free and I'm busting my ass and I'm so tired. And it felt like that feeling of I'm doing everything and no one appreciates it. No Mm -hmm. one sees how hard we try and no one sees everything we're doing behind the scenes. And since really doing the work with Aaron to unpack that trigger, you know, to unpack the reasoning behind me feeling like I needed to either be liked by everyone or I needed to be seen as good or I needed to, you know, not face that shadow of that, that understanding and the truth in what people were saying, you know, during at that time a couple years ago was so helpful for me. Mm-hmm. And now really, you know, when I notice myself being triggered more than usual, for me personally, it's kind of a boundary thing. Either I have porous boundaries and I'm letting in things or situations in to control my narrative and I haven't created enough boundaries to really create almost the um, sphere of protection around me that can keep me safe from triggers. And that is through meditation, that is through journaling, that is through disconnection from all social media, that is from just intentionality around what I'm doing. But that's not to say, you know, it doesn't happen. And I'm sure for so many, especially the, the, you know, the black women and the women of color within our community right now can be incredibly triggering, rightfully so. You know, your anger is is right. Your your fear is right. Just your overall, you know, whatever you're feeling during this time is completely right. And I want to completely honor that. My hope is that with the, the work around triggers that you can feel peace. And I know that is like, seems so, like such a stretch, but the peace that you deserve is, is, is so is so real. Yeah, completely. I want to get into the episode. Yeah. You can learn more. AaronXRose.com, AaronXRose on Instagram. He has an incredible future world meditation on his website as well that I've been doing recently and really, really beautiful to kind of be with yourself, but also like kind of be in that collective energy of that future world where there is peace and there is equality and love and It sounds kind of cheesy to say, but it's really a powerful practice. And we have resources for you as well. So we've been quite active in our secret Facebook group. So if you're not in there, that is a really beautiful, safe, inclusive place for our community to gather, to speak honestly and openly, to garner support and love and inspiration. And we have conversations in there around race as of late and and or continue to and have been sharing resources in there and we'll continue to have conversations on the podcast. So we appreciate your uh, support and also just grace as Krista and I learn how to speak to these, to these issues and really unpack, you know, our own blind spots and unconscious Mm -hmm. biases. And, you know, we're here to do the work and it might not be perfect and we're, we're okay with that. Yeah, I mean the in the Facebook group, man, the the women of color and the black women are the fucking best. Just like being so patient and like helpful and kind and doing things they don't need to be doing mm-hmm. to support us in our evolution and our awareness is just the best and I just really want to like deep bow to that. Mm-hmm. I've been so thankful 
you know, for all their sentiments. And I'm glad that just bringing it back to this episode that I've worked through those triggers that I had two, you know, two years ago when we had a stretch of not having enough diversity on the pod and not even seeing that. And then having people say something, feeling triggered and now really recognizing the beauty and gift that that was and working through it. But um, I'm really excited for you to get into this one. Aaron is incredible. I hope you enjoy. Please join the Facebook group to include um, or to continue conversations like this. Mm -hmm. And we will see you on the next one. Yeah. I just want to mention though, before we hop in, this was recorded a couple months back. So this is before COVID. This is before um, what we're experiencing now. So I just... I just want to preface by saying that, but it is still completely relevant. So thank you for listening and we'll see you on the other side. See you soon. Hello guys. <laughs> Howdy. Howdy. We just had a baller session. It's baller always so wonderful session. to it be with you. It was such a good one. Mm-hmm. It felt really good today. It was so nice to have our sessions Friday and then today. Yes. That was like a lucky circumstance. Yeah, so we started doing individual sessions with Aaron Rose uh, as well as the group. And I think that just kind of helps us to articulate clearly and like be with ourselves and understand our role in it all and part in it all and then come together. It's It's been really energizing. Amazing. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think it really helps you honor that individuality within the collective. So it's not just always like living this sort of old paradigm energy of being constantly just in service to this thing that you've built, but actually getting to be people who have many different things going on. It was yes. beautiful too. Like when we started today, we kind of went through manifestation and reprogramming just at like a high level for us. You know, the the work, a lot of the work that we're doing together is working on old programming that we have within ourselves, whether it's I can't make money doing what I love or I'm not going to be supported in the way that I like or or the way that feels good to me or nourishing to me or I can't make money in like a aligned way. I think there's a lot of different ones that we've been working through, but I'd love to just walk through those steps, you know, before we get into like the real meat of our conversation, just at a high level, I thought that was so valuable for our girls to hear that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so when we speak about manifestation. It's really just this understanding that we create our own reality, that everything in this universe is energy that's responding to the vibration that we're emitting. I think that manifestation has gotten a little bit of a bad name and has left sort of a sour taste in some people's mouths because we don't necessarily in the mainstream have this nuanced understanding of it where it's like, well, you know, it's not just one vibration that we're putting out. I often see it like a hundred different radio stations in your body and 95 of them could be vibrating it like I'm amazing and I'm infinitely deserving of love and wealth and happiness. But you could have five playing some like death metal emo music saying that the the absolute opposite of it. And that can still be drawing things into your experience that, that you don't want to be experiencing. And so um, the manifestation or sort of reprogramming work that I do with people is just about like, okay, if I'm experiencing experiencing something in my reality that I don't want to, that doesn't feel good to me, then how do we go to the root and create a new experience? Because we absolutely can. And really, in some ways, that's the whole reason that we're here as humans on earth. And so what we first do is we just allow ourselves to be in that observer mode of like, okay, damn, I'm experiencing something often repeatedly where it brings us to that point of like, I can't do it anymore. I don't want to be doing this anymore. Like, you know, my partner came home late again and didn't text me. Like we can just use that some kind of relationship conflict as an example. Um, That story there might be, you know, just really feeling 
unsupported or feeling like I'm never prioritized, right? I'm always second, right? People never take time to be courteous to me. Um, and what, we'll, we'll go through five steps here. So one is that we just identify the root. Often we can feel in our very perfectionist society, like we have to go, like there's one single root and I have to find exactly what it is. But often there's many, many layers because we're experiencing the echoes of not just this life, but many lives, our ancestors' lives. So anything that feels like the furthest back that you can remember, okay, like when's the first time I remember feeling this way? Okay. A memory is coming up maybe when I'm five years old and, you know, someone else's birthday in my kindergarten class is the same day as me and everybody's celebrating them and they forgot my birthday, right? And I feel second and I feel like I'm not being taken into consideration. Oh, that feels the same as when my partner comes home late. And what we do is we identify that root. Then we start to, number two is just to feel and honor the emotion, to really let whatever emotion is present there in this now moment, but also in the memory, just come up and out to be expressed. Because when we're experiencing something that feels triggering or feels negative to us, um, it's often this kind of, see it like a little knot in the thread of our life where there's all this stored emotion that for whatever reason we haven't felt safe expressing. So in some ways we come back and we create these negative situations um, uh, often in the hopes of on a subconscious level, eventually experiencing and releasing that feeling. So it can feel very dramatic to feel like, okay, feel the emotion. But even just a moment or two of being like, I feel really sad right now. Like, oh, I can't believe that they're all celebrating him and they're not celebrating me. Um, or like, I feel really ashamed right now. I feel ashamed. I feel ashamed. Often when we say it repeatedly, that allows us to feel it. Um, you can often also even just write it out, like write it in a journal but allowing that emotion to be present without suppressing it. And the third is that we see the root in a new way. We start to reprogram, re-envision the experience that we're having um, in that core memory. So we can ask our younger self, like, what would it, what would you need to feel differently about this? How do you want this to have gone? Um, and this is where some, some folks... I mean, we can feel like it's maybe spiritually bypassing, but actually it's really using our quantum potential to say there's infinite timelines. Like there's completely a timeline where that birthday party went great and you get to access it. Like, what does it look like to be like, oh my God, I had like the best fifth birthday in my kindergarten class. Like everybody's cheering for me. Or like, you know, Dumbledore showed up and was like, these kids don't know how to celebrate. You come to Hogwarts, we've got a party for you. Like whatever it takes to feel differently about the experience and to bring in a new emotion so that you're no longer defined by that echo of what has happened to you. And it's really just about creating relief, using your imagination to, to create a new lived experience. And you can see how that starts to, starts to shift like, whoa, if I hadn't been made fun of and had that hard time when I was five, how would I have been when I was seven? How would I have been when I was eight? How would I be now when I'm 29? Um, and that is what allows us to start to have that new experience. And then four is you rewrite the story. Okay, if the story is, I'm always second, what do I actually want to be true? The people who love me prioritize me always. I feel infinitely supported and cared for by the people that matter to me. We start to really just consciously tell a new story. And then five is that we relentlessly reinforce that new story where the old, the old pattern is going to come up again and again because it's what's normal. It's what's natural. But giving ourselves that opportunity to say, okay, I'm seeing that I'm starting to live that experience again of feeling second. I'm going to affirm to myself that 
I'm infinitely supported and I feel valued and cared for. Um, and I'm going to surround my consciousness with, with as much evidence and information. And this is where the whole vision board thing comes in of what I want to be true so that it starts to feel more normal and more natural to experience this new, more healthy and loving experience than, than the old one. And I often say relentlessly reinforced because it does take de determination. It's not just like, la, 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 meditating and, you know, I'm just consciously shifting my experience. And sometimes it feels like that. And sometimes it feels like a war. Sometimes it feels like, no, I'm not I'm not going to let myself believe that this is what is going to continue to happen. I'm choosing something different. I'm showing myself an image of a happy couple. I'm allowing myself to see <laughs> that this is what's possible and true for me. Um, and then as you start to get affirmation of your new story, you remind yourself like, okay, this is my new, new normal. People are always considerate to me. I'm always prioritized by the people that I love um, because so much of us is programmed to be like, oh, of course, of course I'm second, right? That's, that's just how it goes, um, at least in this example. So, so that's our process. And it's both really nuanced and really simple. It's like, if you're experiencing something that's not a match to who you truly are, at some point you were shown and made to believe through fear that what is truly who you are is not possible. And you just go back, you remove that illusion and you give yourself the permission to live a new story. Can I get an amen? Um, we can pick that apart a little bit. I just, the the releasing and feeling of the emotions is sticking with me. I mm. think, at least in my experience growing up, I was never, I don't know if allowed is the right word, but it was kind of looked down upon if you were to fully express the anger, the frustration, the sadness. I just don't know if if my parents knew how to create a container for that. And even for themselves too, to really exp to express that and feel that. But I think it's such a an important step um, to keep it in flow rather than like for me that just feels like the block that I've I've really dealt with so much is like not being able to fully feel because when I those things come up I immediately just judge it like my you know, whether it's parents would judge or siblings would judge, even I would judge my siblings. If my sister had a freak out, I'd be like, whoa, like, why are you freaking out? You know, like just yeah. constant judgment around it. And so being super compassionate has been has been really helpful to me. Totally. And on, and on a meta level, that's why we're really going through a lot of this consciously shifting our experience now is because there's just aspects of ourselves that are asking for love. And, you know, you can know that you grew up in an environment where emotional expression was suppressed in some way. If you have strong emotions about your emotions, like if you're like really angry, that you're angry, or if you're like anxious, that you're anxious, or you're uh, sad, that you're mm -hmm. angry, right? Because there's that judgment, mm. that sense of like, it's not safe. And for a kid, you know, some of us have had, you know, really intense experiences where it's like, oh, I'm actually going to be physically hurt or something really scary might happen if I express myself. But to a kid's brain, any lack of approval from the parent is tantamount to like you about to be kicked out the herd and like you might not survive. Like the people responsible for caring for you, you know, you're not doing a good job staying in their good graces. And so that it triggers that deep, you know, that, that fear of, of death um, on a deep level. So it makes sense that feeling a little sad or feeling a little angry as an adult feels so overwhelming sometimes for people. And it's like spiritual bypassy if you don't ex feel the feeling, you know, and the emotion and you just go straight to like the, the next step. 
And I think that's so important. Exactly. Yeah, we, we, we have to feel it. And, and that's really what this is, what this is all about is giving ourselves that permission to be all that we are. You know, we hear like, be authentic, be your true self. Um, but if you're judging yourself and, and putting a limit on just authentically what's moving through you in any given moment, then it's going to be hard to know like, oh, intuitively, like, do I want to eat that or that? Or do I want to date that person or that person? If we're not even allowing ourselves to just shed a tear or be really freaking pissed off for a few minutes um, or for a whole day if we need to be. Right. Yeah. The other day I let myself think without judging my thoughts and it was really nice. It was like really immature, but it was really nice. Like I was like, oh, that's annoying. Or like, and usually I'm like, but why is that annoying? You know what I mean? What about that? You know, it's kind of like, oh, you shouldn't think that because da 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 da. But it was nice. Like it felt like mm. really freeing to have very clear thoughts that I was like, oh, I'm actually just really thinking this and I'm going to allow myself to feel it without judgment. Amazing. And that's what we do in meditation, right? We practice that observer mode on our experience and so much of the shadow work techniques where we're like analyzing, like, why do I feel this way? And what, you know, what does it mean? And what's the root? And all of that has really supported us because we've had to clean up our act in certain ways, but we can also really end up in that shadow work loop where we're just constantly affirming that there's something wrong with us that yeah. we have to fix as opposed to, you know, it's like picking picking something up out of a river rather than just seeing it as it's flowing. And it's reminding me um, of that classic Rumi poem, The Guest House, where he just talks about, um, you know, this being human is a guest house every morning, a new arrival, mm -hmm. a joy, a depression, a meanness, some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Um, and he just, you know, speaks about this ability to, to welcome and entertain them all. And let them pass through. Mm. And it's so basic. Like how many times have we heard other people say this before, but when we think about wanting to be free on many, many levels and live the lives that we want, so much of it starts with just not policing ourselves internally anymore. Mm. Love that. Part of the like relentlessly, can you say that again? Relentlessly? Relentlessly reinforcing, reinforcing. your new story. When we had a one-on-one -on -one the other day, we were talking about daydreaming. And for me, that really helps to reinforce, not only like to create the new story, but then reinforce it and allowing myself to really daydream and imagine. Can you kind of expand upon like the power of daydreaming? Because I think for me, I was like taking it kind of lightly for a long time where I'm like, oh, like, can I allow myself to do that? But not understanding the real power of it. Absolutely. Daydreaming is so amazing. And it's one of the things that I love because I love when we find these things that we were sort of chastised for as kids and we're like, oh, actually that's our superpower. Is it Be different than visualization? It's the same. Okay. Yeah. Seeing things, but often daydreaming feels a little bit lighter. Visualization can sometimes feel like, okay, go in. Yes. You're mm -hmm. You open the door. The man of your dreams is there. He has this, <laughs> he's holding this platter full of your favorite food, yes. you know, and it can feel a little intense. And I'm always looking at like, okay, how do we shift the energy so that we actually do it so that it actually feels fun? Um, because again, you know, how we do the work is the work. If we're being so hard on ourselves, then it kind of defeats the Love purpose. Mm. So yeah, daydreaming also just allows it to be these momentary things where we're we're letting our imaginations run wild because we do create from what we believe is true, from what we feel is natural for ourselves. And one of the best ways to expand that is to let our minds see and picture different things without judgment. Like, oh, there I am on that stage. And you're not immediately thinking like, okay, write down on my manifestation list. Like I made $5 million this year and I gave a speech on this big stage. It's just like, no, I'm on the stage. It feels good. 
right? People feel positive based on what I'm sharing. And, you know, now I'm floating down this river. Now I'm having this experience. Like now I'm on this different planet, having this experience, letting yourself imagine and stretch into that capacity that was suppressed. in so many of us as kids really allows us to have even more access to that field of infinite potential um, from which to create. And so I always say to people, especially, you know, I think a lot of us have had the experience of feeling like we're being taken through a visualization and we can't see it or it feels really hard. Um, That's often just a learned response to not using the muscle. So I often talk about having like little triggers, like, okay, every time I fill up my water glass, I'm just going to think about something that it would be cool if it happened. Or every time I'm riding the subway, Mm -hmm. I'm just going to spend a few minutes thinking, you know, just, just dreaming and, and really tapping into that younger version of yourself who was like so chill without the internet, just like lying on your bed, listening to Backstreet Boys, dreaming about your wedding. Like you yes. did that for hours. I mean, not all <laughs> of you did. I, Maybe I I'm just did. speaking Justin for personal Timberlake, experience. Yo, married um, me so hard. Yes. Yeah. Honestly, it's like kind of terrifying to think of like how intensely you mm-hmm. felt. And That's, you really thought that yes. they were going to somehow meet you, yes. love you, fall in love with you, look you in the eye, like... And you're like 12. What that, are kids going to look like? Yes. That's how we know that like there's a divine plan that, you know, <laughs> that your manifestation powers cannot cannot override the divine plan. Otherwise, both of you would be married to, to Justin Timberlake totally. right now. Totally. I'm going to go to Jay McLean. Come on, everybody. Yeah, she's an AJ girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's... But I just wanted to bring that up because it was so powerful for me. I was like, oh yeah, because I, I did that as, as a kid and like just revisiting those things that I did as a kid that I that maybe were made to feel like weird or not productive. I think the whole like productive thing was pounded into me as a kid. So to allow myself to do that now and actually realize that it's was always a superpower and now I can actually do it. Completely. Yeah. yeah. And, and taking out that productivity. So it's not just like, okay, I'm manifesting this different mm-hmm. experience and I'm creating my reality. It's like, have fun, dream about something and see if it happens um, and start to just play with it and co-create. Give That kind of imagination homework is one of the biggest things that I, that, that I offer people because there's so much about this that can feel so intense, but it's honestly a gift to yourself to just allow yourself to let your mind be filled with things that really delight you as opposed to all of the worries that have been inserted by um, the outside world. Mm. Mm. That's a good one. What, what do you daydream about? Oh, I daydream about all kinds of things. I really, hmm, I'm just going to let myself feel into it for a moment. I daydream about nature a lot. Yeah. Like I just will allow myself to go and be in nature, especially if I'm not there where I'm like, okay, I'm just lying in this field of grass or in this forest. And and I, at this point, I'm pretty practiced at like different archetypes of myself. So sometimes I'm like, okay, I'm this like, you know, wild warrior man who's like living in the forest and just connecting with the energy. And sometimes I'm like, no, I'm this prince or I'm this king and I feel my crown and I feel the leadership that I have and the humility that I have. And, you know, sometimes I'm just like, oh, wow, what would it be like to go on vacation you know, in the South of France. Mm. Let me just think about sitting there looking at those vineyards. Mm -hmm. Let me just think about my life. Like I'm in uh, call me by your name and I'm riding some bicycles with some, (laughs) some kids. (laughs) I love that. And I also, you know, for me, there's also the practice of always integrating my personal life with the collective too. Like, okay, what does it mean to 
to consciously daydream about a beautiful planet, about just really feeling and living in a place where everything feels peaceful, everything feels healed. Um, because the more we allow that to feel normal, the more it becomes normal. Mm -hmm. And I think the other thing that was interesting about what I just said is that sometimes our daydreams are enormous. It's like, I'm sitting on Oprah's couch and this, you know, like I'm delivering my message to the world and I'm getting married or, you know, these big things. And sometimes it's, uh, you know, a lot of the time it's small. It's like, oh, I'm sitting on a balcony next to someone I love drinking a coffee. And I'm just letting that moment like stretch and it just feels good. I think that, you know, we can just give ourselves permission to, to be in that almost gratitude energy about our everyday lives more and more. Mm, I love that. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. I want to talk about triggers. <laughs> I feel like this is such a relevant and topical conversation, especially with the rise of social media and the internet. And I feel like the word triggered is thrown, thrown around quite a bit. People are triggered. There's trigger warnings on things. There is offerings of like awareness of triggers, but I don't necessarily know if people believe that triggers are their responsibility to heal and that their triggers are the message. I believe it's more so like triggers are presented from what I see in social media and the online world is that triggers are presented as a way to avoid. And I'm not necessarily saying that every time you see a trigger warning post that you should dive in, but I'm saying that it's an offering oftentimes when you do feel triggered. And I think that there have been situations that we've talked about when working together where we've seen triggers arise and we wanted to just provide our community with a full understanding of what a trigger is and then um, situations in their life where they can see or experience them and then how do we work on them as a collective? Absolutely, let's do it. <laughs> let's do it. Okay, so what are some, so exact, what exactly is a trigger? So I think everybody has a slightly different, different understanding but from my perspective, a trigger is when something in our current now moment creates a heightened emotional response in a way that is not just about what's happening in the moment. It's connected to a past experience, a past pattern, um, a past trauma. It's something that is resurfacing for us to deal with it. So it may be something very classic like, oh, I experienced this trauma and now I'm watching a movie and that same type of thing is happening to someone else. And so I feel really scared or I feel shut down. I feel really emotional, that kind of PTSD response. In other cases, it can be much more subtle. Like this person is, you know, I'm feeling like they're talking to me in a really disrespectful way. And I feel like people are always disrespectful to me, right? And that's just how it is. And it's like, well, that that's also up for debate. And so when we talk about triggers, yes, they are, they are the message, as you said. And it's really this understanding that our outer world is mirroring our inner world and things resurface until we deal with it. And so triggers can feel very can feel very overwhelming again as we spoke about because we're not necessarily practiced at feeling our emotions, but as we start to learn how to ride the waves of them and see them as resolvable, not just like another thing that we add to the label of issues that we have that we're going to carry with us for the rest of our lives, we can really kind of see the gift in them and start to roll with them and with the same level of nonchalance that you're like, well, another day Another night I got to brush my teeth. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like people are addicted to the feeling that a trigger gives them. 
Oh, 100%. Yes. When we talked earlier about manifestation and reprogramming, we create what feels normal to us, not what is natural and Mm. healthy to us. If you grew up in an environment that was a high cortisol, high stress, high adrenaline environment, you are going to be subconsciously recreating a high level of quote unquote drama in your life in order to keep your body in that state. Mm. It actually feels very uncomfortable and your body does not want to stay in that calm state because it's not what feels truly normal to you. And so a lot of people are going around kicking up dust, not even realizing that they're doing it because they simply don't know what it's like to experience something different yet. So what happens? I, so in the situation where people are, have an understanding, you know, that's one example where it's like, say someone has an eating disorder and then they are seeing someone restricting their food and that's triggering to them because it reminds them of that situation that they went through with an eating disorder. But what's a situation where someone is triggered and they actually are consciously unaware of it? Mm. Like how would you describe or explain that to people? Because I think that's almost happening more so with the world. Yeah, so I'll, I'll give a couple examples and you can also feel into if there's anything from from your personal life or your work life that you want to share. You know, for me, the story that actually comes most to mind is from my own life where I, years ago when I was living in New York, I was younger, I was a little bit more gender non-conforming. I had just come out of you know, very traumatic family environment and I was experiencing a lot of street harassment on the streets, people calling me homophobic slurs, feeling just really like I was in a war zone. Like like it was just like I was getting battered around, sometimes literally just feeling like, oh, everywhere I go, there's someone who's out to get me, right? And that's the kind of, you know, that is something that we could identify as a trigger. It's happening maybe physically in my reality, someone yelling at me, but also even just looking online and seeing someone post something that maybe I could read into it and it looks a little bit homophobic or a little bit not understanding of my experience. Mm -hmm. And my reaction is to be like, you know, back then was, oh, these people don't understand me, right? And we can often identify a trigger or a pattern that's coming up for release when we feel like we're in an unsolvable situation in which the only thing that would make it better is someone else's behavior changing. Yes. And Mm. also if it feels like it just keeps happening to us. It's like, I don't know why, but... All of these, you know, insert expletive here, people keep doing this thing. And we can start to look at it and say, whoa, what within me is creating this? And if I had heard this when I was experiencing all of that years ago, I would have been like, F you, Aaron Rose, and your podcast and your new age, (laughs) law of attraction, (laughs) you know what? (laughs) But ultimately, it was my desire to have a new experience that brought me into an understanding that I was actually creating that. I was creating situations that were extremely high stress. They were affirming the core subconscious stories I had about myself that I wasn't worthy of love, that I was different from other people, that to be alive was to constantly be fighting to stay alive. That level of extreme fight or flight was normal for me. And it only began to change, not because I systematically educated every potentially homophobic human being in all of New York City and reformed them and everybody on Facebook too. It started to change when I looked within myself and I said, I'm ready to tell a different story. And ready to honor the emotions of that, those initial violating experiences that created these stories of separation and lack of love. And I'm going to tell the story that it's safe for me to be me, that I'm loved for who I am. 
And it's amazing how quickly things start to shift. It's like, where did all those people on Facebook go? I know they probably still exist, but they're not in my reality anymore. I don't get those hate comments. I don't get yelled at on the street because I did that inner work. And so the invitation for people is really, you know, if you're feeling like other people are messing up to say, what's going on within me? And we can unpack that a little bit more if you want. Yeah, the the different realities is so interesting. When you highlighted that in like a recent coaching session, I immediately understood that it was like my choice. You know, like there was just this like choosing of a reality that I didn't know was my choice. <laughs> and then when I I realized it, I was like, oh, this is so much easier than I thought. You know what I mean? And I think I think in my experience as a human being, I'm like let me not be responsible for all this. You know, there's this like inkling to be like, I don't want to be responsible for this. Can I just blame A, B, and C instead of taking ownership? So I think too, like we have to, as a collective, and I'm speaking out there to almost 30 nation, like be really fucking honest about like our deferral of choice just because maybe it's easier or it's, you know, less heavy sometimes, but... I don't know. For me, it was just like getting real with myself or like you you have a fucking choice. Yeah. All the time. Justin and I were th- were talking about that last night before bed. Like, do we find that empowering or disempowering that we have it's almost like we were talking about li- living in the simulation and that we create our reality and we're like, is that empowering or is that overwhelming? That was mm. what we said. We're like, is that an overwhelming feeling or is that overpower empowering? Of course, the goal is to have it be empowering, but it's also overwhelming at times to know, you know, that power. But I was thinking about triggers and I was thinking about when I used to be in the the belief and understanding that like everyone would cheat on me and that I would cheat on everyone I ever dated. And I was in that constant state of like, if he looked at another girl, and this wasn't this wasn't Justin, but this was Justin at the beginning, even if he looked at another girl, I was like triggered. I was like, oh shit, like he's gonna find someone more attractive than me. He's gonna leave me. I will mm-hmm. never be pretty enough, good enough. Um, I will never be able to trust someone. It's natural and normal for a man to cheat on me. And it's natural and normal for me to cheat on them. And I remember just being so triggered, you know, in quotes all the time. And it was until I was able to heal that with Justin. And I mean, it took years for me to really not feel triggered by anything, you know, with women or with like the opposite sex. And now I feel so free of it, but it was so much of that trust work that I had to do on my own, where I had to take full responsibility for like, you know, understanding that, you know, I grew up in a situation where I, I experienced infidelity infidelity very closely within my family. So that was normal to me in a way. And then also how much I was bringing it into my life. And I was playing these like karmic debt situations where I was like being completely heartbroken and then kind of being dishonest with people on the side and almost seeing the patterns of my relationship and realizing that my last relationship was like the last payment of my karmic debt to this like pattern of distrust and like, belief that I was always going to be cheated on and I was not worthy of like a faithful committed relationship. And now it's like such a joy with Justin. Like we just joke about, you know, everything and I feel so free of it. But I remember living in like the cycle of these triggers and it was so exhausting. Completely. And it can feel overwhelming where we're like, oh my God, like ring, ring. The call is coming from inside the house. Like I'm, 
I thought I was like the puppet on the end of the marionette, but I'm also the person who's pulling the strings. And when we have these big stories that are just, it's just how it is. Men yes. can't be trusted. However conscious that story is, sometimes it's very obvious. We hear it come out, coming out of our mouths all the time. Sometimes it's very deeply subconscious. We'll, we're just going to keep casting people. Our brain is literally looking. Mm. Our reticular activating system only pulls in information that confirms our beliefs about what's true. And so it's like, cool, let me bring in another person who's going to cheat on me. Another person, another person, another sidelong glance when like maybe he just had dust in his eye yes. <laughs> or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Like we interpret the information to confirm the story. And so it is this very brave thing where we're all saying, how free do I want to be? How much am I committed to myself? How much do I love myself that I'm ready to say, I'm actually going to have to let go of, you know, all those people who hurt me and all of the stuff that I wish that they would do. And I'm just going to have to give that to myself and be brave enough to continue to see these old zombies come up and to believe that I can have a new experience until I finally do. And I mm. love that story that you shared about your relationship because sometimes it does happen overnight and sometimes it is this long cycle. And I love years. that you use that word karma because I really believe our current life trauma is our, is our karma. It's the echo of what happened. And so many of us who feel also very victimized, and this again is one of those things that can be kind of hard to hear. And years ago, I would have been like, what the hell is he talking about? Like nothing, you know, I've never done anything wrong. People always do bad things to me. It's like, if we understand that law of cause and effect as above, so below that everything has an equal and opposite reaction. If I've been really hurt in this life, chances are somewhere in my ancestry, in my bloodline, in my parallel in incarnations, I did that same thing to someone else. And it's balancing out until I'm ready to fully live a new story where there doesn't have to be a victim or an oppressor. And I just get to be free. Hmm. And I think a lot of it, like I want to expand upon the part about, you know, within what I see happening online. And I actually love Twitter. I really enjoy Twitter. I follow amazing, funny people. But there is that whole triggering conversation happening and people aren't realizing, people are sort of displacing the pain on the person that they're saying triggered them rather than like actually dealing with it. So I want to talk about that displacement of pain that is happening online and in social media and how triggers play a part. Mm, yeah. So just to clarify this dynamic where we see someone, you know, maybe saying something that could be perceived as homophobic or inconsiderate or not knowing something and it's triggering someone else. And then it's immediately like that person's wrong. They're messed up. You, you know, you shouldn't have done that. Um, I, I think it's, it really does recreate that victim victimizer dynamic where we're always, it's like, we're always looking to turn it back onto someone. Um, and that was definitely the role that I was in for a long time where, and it's, and it feels normal and natural to say, whoa, that person hurt me. Like, duh, that evidence is right there. But if we put on that metaphysical lens on the world, we can see, whoa, this would not be coming back to me. I would not be a match to this if I didn't actually somehow still believe something that was affirming it. Maybe I actually on a subconscious level believe what this person is saying mm. that I'm shameful and that I don't deserve to be loved, right? And that maybe I shouldn't exist. Like what part of me still feels and wonders if that's true? Um, and I, you know, I, I'm not one to say people should or shouldn't do things, but I always ask people like, are you enjoying the experience that you're having? Does it feel good 
to feel like your well-being hinges upon the behavior of other people on the other side of a screen. And if you'd like to feel more free, there's a way to start doing the internal work that makes these debates not relevant anymore. And it's not to say that social justice work in the external isn't important because it really is, but it starts on the level of consciousness. We don't have discrimination. We don't have violence in the world if we actually fully, deeply, and completely love and accept ourselves. So we do have the opportunity to start to turn it inward um, to, to exit some of these dynamics. Yeah, I guess what would you say to the person that is like, well, we're living in today and we need this discourse and these people to recognize what they're doing? Mm. I'd say that there's a couple of ways to respond. You know, we can respond from an integrated place because I will give feedback sometimes still where I'm like, whoa, that's a really transphobic thing that that person said. And I can energetically feel that there's some part of them that's ready to receive some information that says, hey, I don't know if you knew that that actually is really hurtful to people when you say that. Um, and so I'm wondering if you'd be willing to take that down or to share it in a different way, right? Even you can just feel like the lightness of what I shared there because I'm not taking my own pain of experiencing transphobia and turning it back out on that person and entering a conflict that reaffirms my belief that I'm going to be attacked for something that is true about who I am. And so it's not to not take action, but it is to, to really feel what's the intention behind my action. Is it really to see this person as able to change or is it actually just to be in this very familiar chaotic conflict dynamic where the high that I get is actually from being hurt and then from talking about being hurt because that's that's it's a very common dynamic for a lot of us. How would you explain the energetics of when someone is triggered by something that is not personally affecting them but like, I'm not trying to be careful here. I'm just trying to <laughs> figure out how to articulate. I'm laughing Meaning like I where they I take know. on the cause of like, uh, of another, even though it doesn't directly affect them. Mm. So what is yes. that doing energetically to the collective healing? You know, because sometimes I feel that way where I'm like, ooh, I'm kind of like triggered because I have... Uh, my best friend is is gay. You know, like I just, I, I feel that, but what is that actually doing to that energy? Conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this was, I, I loved hearing the way that you sort of described that. I just saw all of us like with like, like lab coats on with like very fine little pieces of, of instruments, like <laughs> peeling it. away layers, like little archaeologists here. Um, As we do. Yes. So I, what I'm hearing is, you know, there's, there's many levels here. From one perspective, someone who's like, you know, has no quote unquote attachment to an issue. Let's just say like, it's a straight person who gets really upset about something mm -hmm. homophobic and like they go on that crusade and they're like, I cannot believe you would do that. And they get really upset. From one perspective, that person may simply just be in a reality where they're really used to chaos and that's their brand of chaos for that day is to get their hit of cortisol and adrenaline from that conflict. It may actually have nothing to do with the identities involved. But we also have to understand that there we're very multidimensional and we have these parallel incarnations, aka mm. past lives. We have our ancestry. You know, if you're feeling like 
you know, I've actually never met a gay person before really, or, or like been really close to them, but I just feel like so emotional about this issue. You know, you can sit with yourself quietly and you might feel like, whoa, you know, what was my great grandfather's relationship to this, right? Did he see horrible things happen to people? Did horrible things happen to him? Um, and understanding that, you know, we're, it's not just this life and the external conditions of this life. And so for most of the things that are upsetting all of us, we've all been on every side of the, the dynamic. And if it's coming up as pressing for you, there's something there for you. And you also know if you give yourself that time to sit with it, to, to journal, just to breathe, the information that you need um, will come forward. Yeah, no, I love that. I think, yeah, it's an opportunity to be at be equally as reflective as you are maybe out there speaking about the trigger feeling. Would you say that, is it safe to say, and I don't know, but would you say, would you say that it's safe to say that if someone gets mad about something or feels very emotionally intense, is that always a trigger? Like if someone, you know, say someone is like, hey, I love this like new shirt and someone like replies and they're like, oh my God, that new shirt is from that one brand and they're so bad, blah, 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 blah. Like is every situation where someone is emotional a trigger or no? I would say that the short answer is no, right? Because we have big emotions for a variety of reasons. And, you know, when we speak about the word trigger, for me, it's really synonymous with this idea of healing that still needs to happen. And that's basically also just an aspect of the human experience overall right now. And so, yeah, someone could be having a big reaction and we could, you know, pull their entire Akashic record and flip through the gazillion pages and be like, ah, oh, there's no precedent for this. They're just <laughs> organically upset in this moment. But chances are there's there's some kind of echo um, that's that's coming through. And, you know, if it feels really nuanced, it's really this opportunity to say that, you know, everything in life is... I think it's a course in miracles that says it's either love or a cry for love. And the only thing that's lacking in any situation is the love that we are not bringing to it. And so if we're feeling separate, we have the opportunity to put our hand on our own heart, to feel a little bit more unconditional, positive regard to ourselves to say, it's okay. It's going to be okay. And to, to really, as much as we can extend that to everybody else and really get curious about our instinct to to attack others to see them as the as the cause of our our own our own issues and and just try to try to bring a little bit more love in every single day love that let's talk about just last just to make it super clear yeah. steps to deal with a trigger yes so steps to deal with a trigger number 1 is just to calm yourself, to regulate your nervous system, to give yourself a minute. And not just like a minute where you're like, okay, I'm giving myself a minute, <laughs> inhale, exhale, moving on. Like really taking a second to reset your nervous system. It might mean literally being like, I'm gonna go take a salt bath right now and actually just fully reset my energetic field. I'm gonna do some emotional freedom technique tapping until I feel less fight or flight, less like the walls are just closing in on me. Maybe I'll do some box breathing where I breathe in for four, I hold for four, and then I exhale for four. 
Maybe I'm going to go for a run right now. Maybe I'm going to go box. Really giving yourself that space to not just be immediately, you know, when we hear trigger, like a trigger is on a gun. It happens very quickly. Um, and so giving ourselves that space to not be at the mercy of our emotions and to, to, to move through the process from the most aligned place possible. Um, the second would be to go to the root. We can ask ourselves, what would I have to believe in order to be experiencing this? You know, if I were to objectively observe this, what's the story that I'm telling about this? These people are always out to get me. I'm always second best. I wonder if I'm worthy of love. Whatever that story is. And then we can ask ourselves, when's the first time I remember feeling this way? And a lot of us don't have clear memories of our childhood, so it may just show up as a feeling like I'm a little kid and I feel out of control or I feel scared. Just whatever shows up is okay. Um, you can also ask yourself, when did I learn this was true about that original story? When did I learn it was true that I was always second best? Usually a memory comes up. And then third step is that we, we clear it. We bring resolution to that core memory in the same way that we spoke about at the beginning where we allow the emotions to be expressed and we bring in new information. We say to that little kid who's, who's being told that they're second best, you're first. We're all first. You deserve love and support. You don't have to experience this. There are people out here in this world who are going to love you exactly as you are. And you can do that and bring it in with your imagination and bring that love to your younger self, um, whatever it takes, whatever you need to see in order to feel it differently. And then from that place, we take aligned action. We say, what would it look like to, to respond in a way that reflects this new story that I'm living, that reflects who I really am? And sometimes it means not responding at all. Sometimes it means that we need to leave a situation. It means that we actually need to say the exact same thing but it comes out completely differently because we're not just expelling our pain um, onto other people. Mm, beautiful. Clear. Last question for me. What are you currently working with personally mm. as it relates to triggers? What's coming up is something I've actually been working through quite a bit over the last few weeks has been really triggers around authority and having my voice heard, um, navigating situations where usually for many years, I've been really following the divine guidance to not really study under anyone else, to just study with myself and to work with peers and to not be in a situation that recreates that old kind of power over teacher-student dynamic. But in the last few weeks, I've been called, I was called to go to a couple places where I was a little bit more in that student role in a container and I got some real good zombies coming up and out at me <laughs> that were really not pleased with what I had to share that were, I was really reliving a lot of old dynamics of like, if I share my truth, um, I get criticized. If I share my truth, then other people judge me um, or the way I speak about things doesn't make sense to people or it's too much or whatever it is. And in those moments, I really had to work through it and say, okay, this is, this is beautiful. If I've set these intentions also, I was in these situations to work on my voice, to work on my expression. And I knew that it was coming up to be cleared. So I was able to look at all these old memories standing in front of the class at 14, like my knees shaking, wondering if my presentation about Shakespeare is going to make my teacher like me and <laughs> freaking out and, you know, being excited when I'm five and being like, look at this. And everybody not getting it or telling a joke when I'm little and just thinking it's so funny and everybody else being like, you're weird <laughs> and not getting it at all. 
all of these memories coming up like a big old crescendo, like the end of a fireworks display. But because I had these tools, I was able just to say, whoa, I haven't brought love to that yet. I haven't brought love to that yet. I haven't loved myself through that yet. And so um, all those old aspects came up. And, you know, ultimately, sometimes when we do that work, it changes the external reflection. Immediately, it's like, oh, there's a new person in front of me. They don't seem to judge me at all. They seem to completely love and accept me. And in other situations, they're still them and you actually get to leave, but you get to leave from a place of not being like, oh, people don't understand me. And I'm just unconsciously leaving the situation because I don't feel like I'm being heard, but you get to leave having actually done the work and coming out on the other side, um, even more fully knowing who you are. So wow. that's been, that's been the work. I definitely have that authority thing. Mm-hmm. We all do. I mean, we're all clearing mm-hmm. it so profoundly right now. Mm-hmm. I would do it with all my clients too, where I'm like, at some point you're going to hate me mm-hmm. because I'm just going to look like your dad or your teacher. And we're going to work through that. I'll let you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Keep me posted. Yeah. I'll let, I'll let you know when that happens. When Aaron Rose becomes. Becomes. Chris's dad. Yeah. My boss. <laughs> uh, thank you. Yeah, of course. This is is so good. Where can people connect with you? Mm, You can connect with me. Most is daily Instagram at Aaron X Rose. Um, And you can also find me at my website at AaronXRose.com. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you. So profoundly helpful to us. Truly. You can also listen to the episode that we did with Aaron previously. Just search Aaron Rose, almost 30. We'll see you soon. Love you. Love y'all. Thank you so much, Aaron. I'm hopeful that was helpful for you guys. The intention is for it to support you as much as we can in your evolution. Make sure to sign up for our newsletter. We have personal notes from Lindsay and I. We're sharing any resources related to anti-racism work and things of that nature. So we would love for you to join our community there. You can go to almost30podcast.com and there's a pop-up or there's one at the bottom of the screen where you can sign up. Yeah, thank you for listening. It means a lot to us. And as always, if you'd like to hear someone on the podcast or have us discuss a particular topic, we are open to it. You can email us community at almost30podcast.com or you can DM us on Instagram at almost30podcast. Thank you so much. We'll see you soon. See you. Love you.